Welcome to the Cyclone Scoop. I'm Alex Halsted from 24-7 Sports and CycloneAlert.com. On this episode of the Cyclone Scoop, I'll be joined by Iowa State tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Alex Gulesh, who will help put a bow on Iowa State's 2019 recruiting class. Iowa State just wrapped up the 2019 recruiting class with National Signing Day, signing one more member to bring the total to 21 signees in 2019. And Alex Gulesh will help talk about all things recruiting. We'll dive into some general topics, whether that's the transfer portal that's gaining a lot of steam or how Iowa State unearths uh, some of these under-the-radar prospects, but also talk a little bit about Iowa State's 2019 recruiting. Before we jump in with Alex Gulish, though, I wanted to touch on um, really Iowa State's 2019 class as a whole, how it came together, uh, some of the things that stand out to me, and um, it, and then you know what's ahead kind of maybe a little bit in 2020. Let's start by talking a little bit about what this class is. Like I said at the top, Iowa State signs 21 members in this 2019 class, which is about what we expected when this class began. That was kind of always the projection is that Iowa State would end up with around 20 prospects. And that number can always change throughout the year. You have guys leave early for the NFL like Iowa State does this year with Hakeem Butler and David Montgomery. Um, you have attrition. All those things open up scholarship spots. They change numbers. They change needs uh, at various positions. But all in all, Iowa State's 2019 class comes together about as we expected it to from the beginning, and that's with 21 signees. Now, this 21-member class has a 24-7 sports composite average of uh, .8557, and that is the highest mark uh, in the recruiting rankings era for Iowa State. This class comes together, and it's ranked by 24-7 sports as the number 38 overall class in the country, including number five in the Big 12. Both of those numbers are best on record as well. So Iowa State's right in the heart of the Big 12 when it comes to the recruiting rankings. And I think that's kind of the important number in this class is that as Iowa State you know, wants to continue to contend for Big 12 titles, as they want to be up there with Texas and Oklahoma and I guess in, in years past, TCU and Oklahoma State, they've got to be there in the recruiting rankings. I know some people say the rankings don't matter. That's true to an extent. You, know, you still have to bring players in and develop them. You have to retain players and not have a lot of attrition. There's so many components to making a program tick, but it starts with bringing in good players. And I think while recruiting rankings aren't the end all, uh, while ratings for players aren't always the most accurate, you know, players can underachieve or overachieve those rankings. Um, there is some correlation to finishing well in the recruiting rankings and finishing well on the field when it comes to whether your conference race or you know, reaching bowl games or, you know, for some of the Blue Bloods, you know, reaching the national title. So um, the recruiting rankings, I think, do carry some weight. We've seen Iowa State move up the last couple of years. I think they've been around seventh in the Big 12 the last couple of years. Now they're fifth in the Big 12 by 24-7 sports in this uh, 2019 class. And so as that ranking is improved, you know, when you look at some of the years before Matt Campbell, they were ninth or tenth most years. Now they're fifth to seventh. And they're kind of more in the middle of the pack with some of the schools that they want to be competing with. Um, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are almost always at the top. That's the case this year. Texas, number one, Oklahoma, number two. But if you can be right there with Baylor, Oklahoma State, uh, West Virginia, I think it gives Iowa State a chance to contend for Big 12 titles, to have the players that it takes to do that. And that's where they are in this class. That, that mark, like I said, the 24-7 sports average of 8557 is the highest on record and it knocks off last year's which was 8481 so this is the first time they've been above an 85 average for player ranking in a recruiting class um, and last year they were near it but at you know 84.81 
um, depending how you look at that. So it's, it's on the rise. You look back at 2016, and Iowa State was at 8249. So they've gone from 8249 in Matt Campbell's first recruiting class to now in his fourth class that they just wrapped up, 8557. That's a substantial jump. Um, I'll include uh, maybe a link in the, in the notes for this episode so you can see that visually in a chart. Um, but it's quite a jump, and I think it, it kind of shows the trajectory of, of where Iowa State's maybe going. That, that number might start to level off a little bit, but you can clearly see um, that uptick. I guess one way I would quantify it is in Matt Campbell's first four recruiting classes, he's had 33 prospects with a recruiting ranking of 85 or better. Um, that's 8500 or an 85. You can, you can really talk about it either way. But 33 players in four classes that have had a, a recruiting ranking of above 8500 in the 24-7 sports composite. When you look at Paul Rhodes and his staff, the seven years before Matt Campbell, the seven years that Paul Rhodes was at Iowa State, Iowa State had 31 players with a 24-7 uh, sports composite average of above 8500. So you go from seven years having 31 players under Paul Rhodes, and now Matt Campbell has produced 33 players in four years. So that's a substantial jump as well. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that stands out about this 2019 class is that Iowa State's lowest rated prospect uh, has a recruiting ranking of 8248, um, and 80 is the lowest three-star. And so that's several notches above, several points above the lowest three-star at 24-7 sports, and I think that's kind of signals where there were years past where it was below 80. It was in the upper 70s was kind of the floor of a class. Now, right now, it's uh, 8248. So I think that's what brings that 85 number, you know, to fruition is that from top to bottom, Iowa State's got a pretty balanced class. They've got some star power at the top. You look at two top 247 players in Brees Hall and Jairo Brock. Brees Hall is regarded as the number 135 overall player in the country. And Jairo Brock is number 211. Iowa State's had three top 247 players since its inception in 2010. Um, Brees Hall, Jairo Brock in this class are two of them. Al Lazard in 2014 is the other. So they've now had three players that were top 247 prospects, and two of them are running backs in this uh, recruiting class. And so just all around, whether you look at the, the average, whether you look at the star power at the top of this class, uh, I think you could argue, you could make the argument that this is uh, the best class in Iowa State history. Now, the next step is obviously development, um, but on paper, this class looks good, and it looks like there's some players that can make some immediate impacts. That's a question I get asked sometimes is, who in this class can make an immediate impact? There's the diehard fan that wants to know all these recruits, but there's also kind of the, the fan that doesn't want to pay attention to recruiting too much, but wants to know who, who's going to impact the 2019 roster. Um, I would say Brees Hall and Jairo Brock are two guys that could do that. Brees Hall is already on campus. Um, like I said, he's the number 135 overall prospect in the country. And when you talk about Brees Hall, you're talking about a kid that's above six foot. I think he's around six one, um, six foot to six one, somewhere in there, um, 215 pounds. Um, he's already pretty well built, uh, an early enrollee that's on campus, and a kid that rushed for 2,000 plus yards in each of the last two seasons at Wichita Northwest in Kansas. Um, the thing that when I've talked to people about him that he can do really well is catch the ball out of the backfield. He's split out wide at Wichita Northwest. Uh, he can catch the ball. That's what he did well at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio back in early January, right before he got to Iowa State, was he caught the ball. Um, that, that's what analysts were saying. That's kind of what helped him jump is just his all-around nature as a running back 
and that's what makes him the number seven overall running back in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. But then he's going to have a sidekick that will join him in June, and that's Jairo Brock um, out of Quincy, Illinois. Brock is um, the number 211 overall player in the country, the number 11 running back, and he's 5'11". He can probably catch the ball, but what, when people talk about him, they talk about his elusive nature, his ability to play in space, his ability to play in a spread offense. And so those two guys, that's why I was wanted both, is they think they can be a one-two punch. They, they are both high-end running backs, but they're different skill sets. Um, like I said, Brock is this guy that plays in space, is good in a spread offense. Uh, Brees Hall can block. He can do some of those things, obviously, as a running back. That's what he is. Um, but he can go out and split out wide and, and catch the ball as well. And so those two guys, I think, have chances to play right away. Part of it's going to be on them. What's their their um, development look like? Part of it is also going to be on what does Iowa State's current running back room do? Can Aiden Wonka, who's going to have a chance as a junior to take a big step, um, can he be the guy? Sheldon Crony's a senior. His last year, can he use some of his experiences, whether it's Oklahoma State game last year or Kansas State the year before when David Montgomery was out, and take the next step? Johnny Lang, we saw flashes of him, um, but not a ton of carries. What can he do? What those three guys do will impact partially how early and how much, if they do play early, we see Jirel Brock and Brees Hall. But those are two candidates to play right away in 2019. I would also say Ashim Young, safety um, out of uh, Philadelphia, their 21st signee in this class. I think he has a chance to play early. I've heard very good things about him. High-end safety um, that you know was a former Penn State commit, had offers from a lot of Blue Bloods, whether you're talking Alabama or Clemson, back in the 2018 class. And if he comes in and he looks like, like that former high-end player that he was in 2018, then I think he's going to have a chance to at least compete early um, if he can shake off that rust pretty quickly, um, he could compete in 2019. There's going to be other guys. You know, there's always guys that, that get to campus and, and show out, but those three stand out uh, right at the top. One thing I wanted to touch on quick before uh, we dive in with Alex Golish in that interview is Iowa State's recruiting territory. And that's the other note that really stands out to me in this 2019 recruiting class is where these kids come from. 13 of the 21 are from Midwest states and that's kind of been the trend for Matt Campbell. And uh, I went back and looked, and now in four recruiting classes, 46 of 96 signees under Matt Campbell have been from the Midwest. That's 47.9%, so almost 48%, and really almost 50%, almost 50-50, are coming from the Midwest. Um, and that's what Matt Campbell said on day one when he got to Iowa State, you know, November, whatever, 2015, his press conference. He said he wanted Iowa State to be – the Big 12 option for the Midwest kids. And that's what they're trying to become. That's what they've tried to do through recruiting. And so far, 46 of 96 from the Midwest. How does that compare? How is that different from what Iowa State's done in the years past? The best comparison is, again, to go back to Paul Rhodes. And in his seven years, 48 of 161 were from the Midwest. So that's 29.8%. So Iowa State's trending about, um, you know, what? what is that – Almost 20% more Midwest under Matt Campbell than Paul Rhodes. That's 29.8% were coming from the Midwest Midwest under Paul Rhodes, and now 47.9% under Matt Campbell. That's not to say Paul Rhodes was wrong or Matt Campbell's right or vice versa. It's just a different in philosophy, difference in philosophy. Iowa State is just recruiting Ohio. 
and Illinois and Missouri and Kansas and um, South Dakota in this class with two kids uh, from South Dakota, they're just recruiting the Midwest a lot more heavily. That's where they're starting. And then they're expanding out to Arizona and California and Texas and Florida. And we see them in Georgia a little bit. Paul Rhodes was just a little bit different. They started a little bit more in Texas. And maybe it's unfair to say started, but they went to Texas a little bit quicker in the process. Whereas when you look at 2020 recruiting right now, Iowa State is starting close to home. They've got three commits in this class, uh, including quarterback Aiden Bowman out of Minnesota, lineman, offensive lineman Tyler Miller out of Iowa, and Cole Peterson, a linebacker out of Iowa. Their first three commits in this class are from Iowa and Minnesota. Expect them to stay close to home because that's been their trend. And that's just how they start. And then when they um, move out further you know, into the process, they might go to Arizona and spot recruit the, the top high-end kids there in California and Texas and Florida and supplement in other states. But they like bringing in kids from the Midwest for a multitude of reasons. And we'll get into that with Alex Gulish. Um, but that was one other note that stood out to me. So that puts a little bit of a bow on 2019. Um, so let's go in and, and talk with Iowa State tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Alex Gulish to get his thoughts on this class, uh, but also just how Iowa State recruits. How does Iowa State find some of these guys? I'm joined now by Iowa State tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Alex Golish. Uh, coach, so we're talking the day before signing day, so maybe we can't talk about everything here. But uh, thanks for joining me um, with, with your busy schedule. Uh, before we dive into maybe some general recruiting stuff, what's it like, I guess, to put the, put the bow on a recruiting class? And then, you know, Coach Campbell told me earlier, you move right into 2020 here in a week or so. Yeah, you know, we've spent a lot of time this January working through 2020 as we're finishing up 2019. It's it's all sped up so much now. And Coach Campbell's biggest biggest point of emphasis is let's make sure that we we do a really good job finalizing this 2019 roster and and getting to w the very best we can with with obviously the guys that we've got here, our own guys and then finding any way and every way to, to be as good as we can next year before we truly devote everything we've got to 2020. How much has the early signing period helped you put an easier finish to a class? Because you guys maybe got to take a little break around the bowl game, figure out what you really needed, and then finish with that you know, in, in January. Yeah, I think it's, it's really, really beneficial. I think it kind of sorts it all out for you heading into January. Like you said, you – one, you know who's actually committed and, you know, because those guys will sign. And, and I think we've done a really good job of of guys that we've accepted commitments from early are guys that are truly bought into the program and bought into Coach Campbell and bought into what Iowa State is. And so we haven't had a whole lot of guys, you know, wavering or, you know, guys that are committed have signed and it kind of eases up on, all right, here's where we are, here's what else we need. Bowl practice certainly allowed some of those young guys to get an opportunity to to practice, and you kind of got a better feel for where you actually are, you know, because those are guys that, as they're going through developmental practices and are on scout team, sometimes you kind of, I don't know that you lose track, but you kind of lose track of maybe their development as they go uh, other than those developmental practices, you know. So it's good to kind of fill in the blanks. You got a chance to see what your, what your young guys that are redshirting can do, and then kind of gave you the opportunity to I don't know that you ever took a breather you were still recruiting but but it certainly is a lot easier to go through bowl practice without having to recruit 20 guys when you could just be recruiting the few you know that you're going to attack in January. 
seeing some of these other you know staffs with maybe a new head coach, they have to kind of scramble. It's kind of different for them. Are you glad looking back? And you guys had only had 60 days to put together your first recruiting class here, but um, you're probably glad that early signing period did wait then, I guess, you know, because that was still a hectic time. I remember oh, just heck. trying to cover that, cover it. I can't imagine flying everywhere. Yeah, no, you, you thank God that 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 first year coach got here early. I mean, he was probably one of the first guys to get get hired and give us some time to sort through it those first couple of days. If it was an early signing period, I don't know what that class would have looked like. Um, no, I'm glad now looking back at it that that still was a February signing day. You Something you mentioned here before that I wanted to touch on was the – the fact that you guys saw bowl practices, saw some of those young guys and said, okay, maybe this is position looks better than we thought in the future. How much do things shift throughout a recruiting cycle? Because I'm sure as you go, say, into fall camp, a lot of you guys had a lot of commits from this class already done. It might have been like 15 of the guys that ended up signing were already committed. But then as you go through fall camp, as you go through the season, you start to see how things play out. And it seems like Coach Campbell and your guys' philosophy has always been save some spots for maybe – we find a different need and, and we can reevaluate things. How much does do things shift through out of recruiting cycle where you're like, huh, maybe we can use this spot elsewhere. Maybe we won't take a running back or this position in this class. Yeah, I think really, really big. I think it's always ever evolving. I, I think the way Coach Campbell really looks at it is is twofold. One, what are our needs? You know, who who are the seniors that are graduating? That's an easy one to look at. You know, who we're getting to the point in our program now the Davids and the Hakeems guys who who are legitimate NFL prospects guys that'll have an opportunity to move on I think those things that's that's the first part of it where what spots are are we gonna have I don't know necessarily holes but what spots are actually leaving that you feel like you need to replace and then the second part of it are who are the players that you just can't turn down regardless of position um the one thing Coach Campbell does a really good job of is, yeah, your allotted scholarship numbers at certain spots are one thing, but but if if there's a guy that really really fits our program, regardless of need at his position, we're always going to have a spot for a guy that's a difference maker that that wants to be here, that's a fit into what we're doing culturally. Um, so I, I think to answer your question, I think it's always evolving. There's always young guys that come in, like you said, fall camp. You always come in with those freshmen anticipating one thing because what you saw in high school film and what you saw as you got to know a young person, and then they come in and and there's things you you didn't know you didn't co- you you couldn't anticipate coaching and then guys develop at different at different rates, guys from, come from different programs too. There's there's certain kids that maybe have never lifted maybe especially in this state guys that played three four sports that never really lifted weights. Now they come in and all of a sudden blossom. So that changes drastically every year. I think it happens after fall camp. It happens after bowl practice. And it'll certainly happen after spring ball because those freshmen will take another jump. Um, so I think it's always good to to have one or two spots that you know you can kind of save and, and see what else is available there at the end. This 2019 recruiting class, it seems like – not to say all the all the guys you take, you're obviously taking guys you really like, but it seemed like things just really fell together as it went. Like you were on, say, a Grant Triber for from his first Power Five offer in April. He commits in July. You weren't after a ton of different linemen. Uh, same with Jared Hufford, and um, you could probably go on and on with Brees Hall and Zyro Brock. It just seems like the guys you were on early are the guys you ended up with. Did it feel like this class 
a lot of these guys, this was maybe the first time you were able to pay, spend long recruiting cycles going after some of these guys. And a lot of these guys were guys that you'd bet on and were maybe your top targets right from the beginning. Yeah, I, I think I said it in December after that signing day. This was the first time I think we all felt like we weren't we weren't recruiting from behind, you know, guys that we were able to see as sophomores and juniors and, and, you know, and really get to know those kids, kids that have been able to come over to watch us play and watch us coach in spring ball. It was like the first time I felt like it was an even playing field, you know, and I said that before, and I really mean that. Um, I think for the most part, our biggest emphasis was hitting the Midwest really, really hard and not just recruiting it hard, but really digging up and making sure that the guys, we weren't leaving our own backyard to go see something different or see something better. Coach Campbell put such a huge emphasis on on this eight-hour radius here, six to eight-hour radius last winter. You know, as we finished up the class, the 2018 class, let's get out and see, you know, guys don't necessarily need to get on flights and go all over the place. Let's go see these local kids and let's make sure that we really fine-tooth comb this local area and that's where the Grant Tribers of the world and, and you know, the the Jirel Brocks and the Brees Halls, those are kids that we established relationship with super early. And not just even the guys that were recruiting them, but but from the head coach to the coordinators to, to everybody on the staff was so involved with those kids that we targeted. It was almost hard for them to say no, you know, and all those kids you name. Blake Petersons of the world, like those are guys we attacked early and wanted and and felt like we needed and and uh, for the most part, you know, and then and then we took the month of May to really go out and and see what else is out there in our secondary areas in the Texas and Floridas and Arizonas and and those guys became a priority as we went. But I think you know, like you said, those fifteen guys that were committed in August, for the most part, they were local kids that that we had had over here a handful of times that we've been in those schools a handful of times they've been recruited by our whole staff that's what gave us a chance since coach Campbell was hired he's <clears throat> mentioned Iowa State being the big 12 option in the Midwest and it seems like that's what you've always recruited Ohio and all those areas but it seems like it has really started to get down to that point where that's more and more so your starting base um, does it feel like you're settling in to those areas and then you go to like you said go down to Arizona once you get to the spring and that's obviously becoming a big base for you guys as well yeah it's been you know to be honest with you even as we go through through January and February it's like let's make sure the guys we're actively recruiting are guys that are that are guy within our honestly within a driving range to where they can come over here and really get to know us and and then if there isn't that guy available at a certain position, at a whatever position you name it, then let's go and and flood the areas where we also have ties, but are maybe ne not necessarily guys that are going to have to fly up here. And so, you know, for us, we have really, really focused on obviously the state of Iowa and Kansas and Missouri and Illinois, Ohio, Michigan fit into that for us, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and we've fine-tooth combed we've identified and those have been the guys that we've attacked first um, there's always going to be positional needs that maybe don't exist that maybe you just can't get um, a deep enough pool at say example my position tight end there's may not be enough in this local area so you then you start you start going out and attacking you know quarterback is kind of a national um, position at times um, 
running back can be a national position. But if you're talking O-line, D-line, you know, linebackers, um, this year happened to be running backs for the most part. We're somewhat local. Um, we're going to attack that area first. One, the, we have a brand, you know, that that people recognize now. Uh, two, they're within driving range to where they can come over. And, and, you know, our biggest selling point has always been the people, the fan base, the people of this university, our staff. Well, the only way to sell that is if you get them here and they get to see it for themselves. So I think that's been the biggest reason for Coach and, and all of us as a staff for that to be such a primary goal is to recruit this local area. I'll touch on the 2019 class in a minute, but one other thing I wanted to bring up is just the evaluation process that you guys go through, and we don't have to go through it in in deep detail, but I know it's always interesting to people, and the reason it comes to my mind is just Will McDonald, you know, you think of someone like that comes from Wisconsin, and not to say he, he had a lot of, he was so quiet that I don't think people knew how many offers he probably had, but it just seemed he was so under the radar when he was your first commit in 2018. Not a lot of people really even knew who he was. I think probably other schools found out about him because of you guys, and that's when they jumped on him. How do you uncover guys like that? I mean, what goes into the evaluation process to uncover a guy like that, that now, you know, when I talked to Coach Campbell, he said he's maybe one of the most pure athletic guys that he's talking about he could play linebacker. Pretty special dude. You know, I think I, I think it, it starts at so many different places, that actual initial evaluation. It, it could come from an email. <laughs> it could come from um, – a bleep on a tweet of a combine somewhere it could come from a high school coach from a recruiting service from there's so many different places that 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 initial evaluation can start from I think the biggest thing with us different or not different from other people I think we trust each other you know and I think part of that is the continuity coach has been able to keep on a staff people use that word continuity so much I think when it comes to recruiting, it's absolutely huge because you trust the guys on the staff that they're helping make the best decision for for the program. And so there's not as much of guys trying to say, well, I'm going to recruit all these guys from my area or my, you know, there's very much a team aspect to recruiting here. Um, starts with Coach Campbell and, and our off-the-field recruiting staff with Derek Hoosier and Taylor Mauser and Colby Cratch and those guys and even going into – our our marketing side with with the video production and the graphics and like I think all those guys are so aligned with what we're doing um, that that we're all on the same page and and I guess that makes it easier to uncover a Will McDonald I couldn't tell you where that one necessarily started I know I uh, like Will we watched the film we got into the school we we talked to his coaches, we talked to his guidance counselors, talked to his track coach, um, talked to his teachers, and everything would point to the kid is going to be an incredible human and an incredible football player. Well, we liked it. We saw it. You know, I think a lot of the time you so much in recruiting, you want to say, well, why isn't somebody else recruiting him? Why isn't this going on? Where if you just check all the boxes and be really, really thorough on the front end, I think Coach Campbell feels totally comfortable being first on a, on a young guy. And if he fits what we're doing schematically and from a culture standpoint, we've didn't ha we've never hesitated to be the first to offer him, and I think that's paid off. It's paid off with a lot of situations like Grant and and um, certainly Will McDonald. But we've as long as we've felt like we've got all the background, we've we've attacked it, you know, and and so 
as far as the evaluation process, that can start a million different ways, but it initially starts generally with watching the film and saying, man, there's something there to at least get you interested. And then obviously meeting the young man and, and then getting around him and more than anything athletically, the athletic part has got to pique your interest. It's always been a, is he our kind of kid? Yeah, because it's been interesting just because it seems like every class was a couple kids that like just kind of come out of nowhere, at least to maybe the fan who just is looking at rankings or offers. I mean, you have a, a Mike Rose, a Will McDonald, and even a Daytro Young, I think, was under the radar. It just seems like that continues on. I guess uh, one more before we just go into a little bit of 2019 to close. You mentioned Derek Hooger, Taylor Mauser, Colby Kratz. I'm sure there's some other names forgetting there, but those three, um, what's kind of the role of – the shift you know you guys might be out on the road recruiting and those guys are back here I assume looking at film and and doing things from here but what's kind of the role of throughout a year of what they're doing bringing stuff to you guys and you guys going back and forth and I know Campbell likes to use the word videotape evidence you know he probably loves you guys bringing him clips and that sort of thing yeah their their role is really really huge um you know they kind of oversee um oversee the offensive recruiting board the defensive recruiting board um, and then Derek oversees it all with really knowing what's going on with each young guy that we're recruiting, um, knowing the ins and outs, being the communication voice to Coach Campbell a lot of the time. Um, when Maybe when we're in, in position meetings, they're able to grab Coach and, and pull up a young guy that they see. Um, they do. They provide a lot of videotape evidence for, for Coach Campbell and the coordinators to see you know, Coach is so big on not necessarily watching highlight films. He wants to see clips after a bad play, and we we dig and dig and dig, and those guys are a really big part of it. The other part that they're really responsible for is is making sure that that we've got enough names at, at certain positions and, and being able to dig up new names. And, you know, Taylor Mauser takes so much pride in finding a guy that, that you didn't know anything about, that nobody knew anything about, um, and he'll he'll look at stats. On, I mean, those guys will fine-tooth comb Friday night scores to see, man, are we – man, this kid keeps rushing for 300 yards. Are we on him? Do we know who he is? They're kind of the backbone of, of starting a lot of the evaluations and helping point the coaches in the right direction when we are on the road. Um, they do a phenomenal job of – of trying to keep keep everybody organized and every every coach is different you know some guys are all over it and some guys need a little bit of help and and that's what that's what those guys are there for and and what's awesome is they've all you know Colby played for for coach Campbell and um you know Taylor Mauser has been with coach Campbell since Toledo and Derek Hoosier has been here since day one that we got here those guys are so invested in in the program and so invested in him you always feel like they're they're kind of um, an impartial view at a like you're watching a kid and and maybe you you have an attachment to him because you've been in the school ten times and you you love everything about him and they're kind of a fresh set of eyes to say yeah you know did you miss that did you see that so they're they're super helpful in in every aspect of the kid and then more than anything when those guys get here on campus. Um, those guys are kind of they know a, a lot of things that at times we don't and and especially like Derek Hoosier went to school here so there's a lot of hey Derek what, what's going on here what's what's up with this and and he can really give them a, a testament from being a player or you know from being around the staff and being a student here more than anything even from the athletic side we could probably I mean go on and on about all these different 
recruiting things. Um, but uh, I guess one more before uh, 2019. Um, I guess the point that you made about watching the game film, that's something when I talk to recruits, they're like, Coach Campbell tell me he didn't care about my highlights. He wanted to see how I did after, say, an interception or fumble to see my body language. I've, I've always kind of – it's brought up so much that it's something that I've kind of noticed and it's interesting. But um, the last thing for just general recruiting is – I've covered probably five or six recruiting cycles, it seems like, since since I started. Um, and even since you guys have just been here, so much has changed in recruiting. Spring official visits, they've limited the number of camps you guys can have, um, early signing period. Now it's kind of like this this transfer portal and stuff is, it seems like because of the early signing period and, Jan, and then the Jan recruiting school, the transfer stuff seems to be taking off. How much has the transfer portal and those sorts of things just change that there's not this under the radar guy that's leaving a school that everybody kind of knows about him and everybody's on them right away. Yeah, I think that's the only part that's probably changed is that the media now has gotten a hold of of who's leaving where and when. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I, I don't know that it's really changed a whole lot. I, I think it's made to be a big deal, and I think you know if if there's a if there's guys at a rapid rate leaving a program. That's maybe raised more eyebrows than it had in the past because uh, it, it's very visible publicly. Um, as far as how it's changed, I, I think it just maybe more so than it ever has gives everybody access to a young man maybe leaving the program. Um, I think it's been a testament to us as a program that, that you, you haven't seen a bunch of guys leaving, you know, and, and with, our, with our kind of our template being recruit, retain, and develop – you know, I think the biggest things right now are, are obviously retaining these guys and then developing them. And that's always been a Coach Campbell's footprint is is we're going to recruit young guys and develop them. And, and you know, it's we've never been a program that, that has that said, man, we're going to rely on transfers or, or any of that. So I don't know that it's changed really anything other than it's just maybe a little bit easier to access um, you know, guys leaving a program. Um so I think on our end, it's not as big of a deal. But I think in the media, it's been made out to be a, a ginormous deal. I just don't think it has. I think if anything has really changed, has been biggest things that, that have changed have been this early signing date and and um, the spring and summer official visits. I think it's given us an opportunity to get guys up here maybe earlier than we ever have to show them what we have. But I think it's just sped up. The recruiting cycles have all like gotten moved back essentially one cycle if that makes sense they it's gotten moved back where in january you used to be still recruiting that class you're already on the next class so hence in the spring you may be a class ahead at times i think it still comes down to finding the right guys developing relationships getting them around your people and then making sure it's the right fit. I think if you lose track of that and get ahead of yourself, I think that's where people get in trouble. We'll finish up with just a couple here on, on 2019. As you guys wrap it up, What most of it's been done. I mean, you signed 20 in December that you've already been able to talk about and, and whatnot, but what do you guys like as, about this class as a whole? I mean, from my perspective, it seems like you guys got somebody at, at every position. It seems like you've filled the needs at – every position there's not really anything that's heavier than another it's just kind of a maybe the most balanced class yeah that's probably probably the biggest thing that stands out when you look at it is it's a balanced class I think more than anything you hit on it earlier we felt like we went out and got 
virtually the top guys that we wanted at every spot. There's been, there was very little scramble at the end to fill a spot. Um, like I said, I think that's a credit to us having the time and our feet in the ground and our, our honestly having the same coaches in the same areas for a while and having the same coaches coach in the same positions for a while now that that we never felt like we were behind. We felt like we were ahead and we were able to attack. And, yeah, a balanced class, I, I felt like we, we – attack the needs we had with the top guys that we wanted to get and we were able to do so um like you said earlier we never worried about rankings or or who else is offered we felt like we were able to get the right guys here early and and attack it and I think if you were to summarize the class that would be it we felt like we got you know whatever it ends up being whatever that number ends up being a couple more here to go but we got the guys we wanted and then when you look at some guys, is there is there a, a prototype, I guess, at times that you look for in a guy? I mean, you look at Corey Suttle, and he reminds you some just – he's got really long arms and just this athletic guy off the edge that reminds you some of a body like Will McDonald. And it seems like these offensive linemen you bring in are not guys you have to build up. They've already kind of got a base at, you know, a lot of them are 285 to 300. Um, it, it seems like there's things – I assume that you obviously look for, but does it – are there things you go out and you say, man, that guy's got the length to play a defensive end in our system? For sure. <laughs> For sure. You know, I think we probably spent the early time, early part of our tenure, trying to get the best football players we possibly could. And I think as we've been here and have now have been able to develop some of these guys in our program and being in the conference now going into year four, you kind of feel like, Man, these this body type is what we need to be able to compete at this level. So, I also think having time to go out and see and feel like you know what's going on in, in, in your areas that you're really focusing on, you certainly feel like you could pinpoint more of not necessarily taking an undersized guy. You you feel like you can you can get the measurables you want, never sacrificing what kind of football player he is, what kind of person he is. Coach Campbell still, at heart, will always take a really good football player, even if the measurables aren't there. And then um, just wanted to end with talking about the tight ends. I know people have been excited about them. Um, Coach Manning comes back. He's Coach Ebron at, with the Colts. Have you joked with him a little bit about h- how you want to use your tight ends with you know with him coming back and that sort of thing? Every day. <laughs> Every day. It's exciting. Um, I think um, – well, I asked him if we can get Ebron here. His eligibility is done. He just got done playing in the Pro Bowl. Um, I think I think for for coach to see it from that lens, you know, he's always been an O line coach and and obviously coordinated here the first two years. I think to see it from a different lens has been awesome. I think anytime you you leave and see a different perspective on things, um, offensively recruiting, you know, he, I've asked a million questions of, hey, what'd you look for in a tight end here? What'd you look for in a tight end here? Um, I think, you know, does it result in anything specific? I think it just may be an appreciation for a different position, maybe a, a different appreciation for the past game, um, seeing it in a different light, um, learning from different people. I think it's it's awesome growth. I think a lot of us, that's what we try to spend off seasons doing is studying other people. Well, he got the inside view of one of the better offenses in the NFL, and and um, 
being around some incredible coaches and around an incredible quarterback there. I think that's one thing that you, if you ask him, I think it just just what went into Andrew Luck and his preparation and, and his ability to control a game. And um, so have we joked, we joke every day, do we want to get, get the tight ends more involved? I think that's just going to come as they go. And um, as they continue to develop, I thought they, they grew up last year in a, in a huge way. And, and I think the expectations are really, really high on those guys right now. Yeah, I mainly bring that up, you know, in terms of the usage, just because Camp, Coach Campbell told me that that's got to be the next step too when you look at, you know, you lose 152 targets at the receiver position. Well, that doesn't necessarily have to be replaced by just the receiver. It can be replaced by, you know, Charlie and, and Chase and Dylan. And it was interesting to me because I didn't know the percentages, but he said you guys ran double tights maybe 40% of the time last year, and, and he wants to see that continue to evolve. What What is – what have you seen from that the step of those two this year? I mean, Chase had like five catches in six quarters and then had the unfortunate injury, but then Charlie steps up when he goes down. Yeah, I think those guys have just <coughs> grown into big 12 tight ends. You know, I, I, I think – Chase was so different because he had to put weight on and had to really learn um, learn how to run routes. And, you know, I think the physicality was always there and the mindset was always there. He had to learn how to play the position. Uh, Charlie was different because Charlie basically played receiver in high school. For him, it was learning learning how to block and learning how to get in the three-point stance. And, you know, all that takes time. That's such a developmental position. Dylan Sainer is the other guy. He's made exponential growth. And he's played so many reps for us the last two years. He started on every special team a year ago. And Dylan, at the end of the year, was playing 25 snaps a game on offense. I think that position so unique because Dylan had one target last year. So you just assume, man, you know, he's not really being used. He was he was awesome for us played his best game in the bowl game and thought we did a really good job running the football there and he was a huge part of it um one guy that that you're gonna that you're losing is sam seambuckner who's probably the most unheralded guy in that group but did all of the dirty work here for two and a half years for 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 david montgomery and i, I know dave is very vocal about about what what he did you know in conjunction with the offensive line like that's the guy that I always think is going to be really hard to replace because he he set the tempo in our in our room of toughness and physicalness and and sacrificing everything to to be really really good and and so I think when it all comes to it you know whether it's double tights or whatever it ends up being coach Campbell's fundamental start of his offense has always been playing the best 11 guys and and you know I think a year ago Sam Seambuckner was one of those and we started out the year saying Chase was and then like you said got banged up and Charlie jumped in and Charlie took advantage of his opportunity and was was able to become more of a pass catcher for us than we have had in two years and you know I think as Chase has come back he's he was able to see that so I think it'll be really, really interesting as we go. The competition in spring ball is going to be awesome. But I think more so than even saying we got to find out who the one guy is, I think all three of those guys feeling like, man, I, I've got a huge role in this offense, and whatever that role irons out to be, like you said, there is 152 catches out there that, that have to be replaced. And and those guys are, are as excited as anybody to say, hey, I can take a chunk of those and – the backs will take a chunk of those, and the, that receiver group, you know, I f almost feel like like those guys. Everybody keeps forgetting that there's some really good young players in there, and and Deshante certainly a proven veteran, and Tariq had an awesome year and is only going to continue to get better. But 
this Josh Johnsons of the world and Joe Skates and Sean Shaw's and Jalen Martins. Those guys are just chopping at the bit to step in, and, and we'll find out after spring who we feel like those guys are. Well, we could probably go on and on. I think people, there's at least the people probably listening to this, love recruiting. We probably could have talked about a ton of topics, but I know you got to get back and probably start recruiting 2020 uh, as you finish up the signing day. So thanks for taking some time. I appreciate taking some time out of your schedule, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up. Maybe, maybe it'll be the recap from the 2020 class next year. Sounds good. I appreciate it. So that was Iowa State tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator Alex Golash. Thanks again to him for taking some time. That was right before National Signing Day. Um, and so I, I think they're about to get a little bit of break. But then, uh, like we talked about there, they're going to be diving into 2020 full force um, when they get back in February. Uh, that, to me, I think I, I was a little bit all over the place with asking him stuff. But so many interesting topics right now with uh, recruiting. Um, you can go into all the changes that the NCAA has made, like we talked about there, whether it's the official visits that can now happen in the spring, and we'll see spring official visits for the second straight year here in 2020 recruiting, uh, beginning, I think, probably in April, um, to camp season changing to now all this talk about the transfer portal. There's been so much stuff that's changed in recruiting and has evolved in recruiting. Uh, you could talk to him for probably quite a while about just Iowa State's philosophy, their um, – way they approach things um try to dive into a, a few different topics there didn't want to go through every position or anything with the recruiting class um and take up too much time but thanks to him for taking some time and hopefully there was stuff in there that that you found interesting whether it was how iowa state finds a guy like will mcdonald or um their emphasis on the midwest um or this class coming together that will do it for this episode of the cyclone scoop this was the second episode so if you missed the first one it was iowa state head coach matt campbell talking about Iowa State's early entrance into the NFL draft, uh, Tom Manning coming back, some position battles uh, going into the offseason. Um, that was episode one. This is episode two. And I uh, hope to have more for you coming here on the Cyclone Scoop. Make sure to subscribe if you've liked this episode or the last one. And uh, we'll have another one coming at you soon. So thanks again. And that's all for this time.